OPN Ask an Angel podcasts are conversations with global angel investors and venture capitalists. We explore how to invest, understanding investment strategies, and approaches to due diligence. Join us and learn what it takes to be a startup or what it takes to invest in the next great company. Welcome to the Supporters Fund, Ask an Investor. I'm your host, Jeffrey Potvin. And let's please welcome Yannicka Neeson from Capital T as our investor today. Welcome, Yannicka. It's a real pleasure to have you joining us today. Well, thanks a lot for having me. I'm looking forward. Oh, me too. I'm so excited. Uh, there's so much amazing things that you've accomplished and all these great things. You've So many videos about yourself from books and this great career in, in entrepreneurship. It's uh, absolutely phenomenal and I'm so excited to be able to chat with you today. So the way we like to kind of kick things off is that we want to dive into a bit of your background. So maybe you can start off by sharing a little bit back from your marketing days through all the entrepreneur uh, endeavors that you've kind of taken on and maybe share one thing about you that nobody would know. And I guess also for the audience, maybe share where you're working out of today, because I think that's also pretty exciting. Yes. So I'm currently uh, in Barcelona. So how's Barcelona? Um, I'm speaking at the EU Startup Summit uh, tomorrow morning. Uh, so I decided to, well, not have any stress and arrive today and work from here. And the, the view was absolutely stunning. So I hope I can uh, enjoy a bit of Barcelona uh, later uh, today. Um, yeah, the beginning of my uh, career uh, during my study, I was approached to start working um, at an online advertising firm. And that was now a sound very old, but that was back when uh, the internet was like really new and uh, everything just uh, started out. Um, so curious as I am, I said yes, and I joined and um, finished my studies uh, more uh, in the evenings uh, on the side and uh, mainly focused on that. That was super exciting. But um, after two years, me and another colleague decided to start our own company. Um, and that was for me fairly easy step um, because I was super naive. Uh, I had no clue about all the things that could go wrong, uh, which I think is a good one. But also, uh, since I was really young, I always told people that one day I would want to be an entrepreneur. And uh, so when the opportunity was there, it was easy to jump. Um, I could borrow some money from my parents. And I know that that's uh, a privilege that not everybody has, but um, that got me um, uh, started. And then um, uh, the, I had the first company, uh, first dot-com bubble. We even then had clients that um, verbally agreed to an agreement. And then the next day said, yeah, we're not going to do this because our board doesn't believe in the internet. It were those days that there were still people that did not believe in the internet. Um, but, uh, well, the bubble uh, bursted. And I think uh, every company so far, I started in a downturn. And I think those are the best moments because the only way is up. You don't need to scale down. So there's a lot of advantages there. Um, uh, after a few years, we started uh, growing internationally, uh, had offices in South Africa, Brazil, Europe, uh, lots of fun. And then at a certain point, I sold my shares in a company. Then I did uh, nothing for a few months, as in I was thinking what I would want to do next. And then uh, I met uh, uh, my co-founder that I started my second company with. We started out as a consultancy firm, but then decided that that was not scalable enough. And so we started building tech, uh, grew that internationally, different offices uh, across Europe. I had a lot of fun building an amazing team. I'm still proud of when I think about that team. And obviously also many setbacks. That was also the time when I started to get more active on getting more diversity in tech. Um, because, uh, well, obviously we noticed ourselves the lack of diversity. And then um, I met with uh, Nelly Cruz. She's uh, was back then an EU commissioner, famous in the Netherlands uh, for uh, female empowerment as well. And she was like, yeah, there's certain things I can do in my position, but what is it that you can do? 
And uh, I think that was a very good call because at the end of the day, everybody can do something. And that's when I decided to actually start doing things. So then I set up with uh, my then co-founder, uh, Joelle um, Inspiring 50, a nonprofit to make female role models more visible. Um, because in the media, there were always the same US role models, while there's also many great ones in uh, Europe. And I think the closer a role model is uh, to you, uh, in terms maybe of, of age and gender, but also location, it feels more relatable and more like that's something you can achieve. So we wanted to make them uh, more visible. And as part of that, I also published a book for young girls uh, to try to get them excited about technology. Um, because often they say, oh, tech is boring and difficult. Um, uh, and uh, no, I'm not good at it. Um, and then you ask them, do you want to work at Snap or Instagram? And they say yes. So the view they have of what tech is, is often, uh, often wrong. So published a book about a young girl that learns to code, uh, builds, build an app, and then starts her own company. And she goes through all the ups and downs of having your own uh, company. So it's basically based on my own life, but then uh, wrapped into a much nicer uh, story that appeals to uh, 10 to 14 year old girls, um, published in a few uh, countries. And uh, one of the trips I did with UNICEF to South Africa inspired me to give the book away for free because I met many girls there from uh, townships that uh, due to the uh, programs they did uh, around STEM, really saw much more opportunities uh, in their future than the, 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 the life they had today. They thought they could never be more than just a girl from a township. And uh, the STEM programs really gave them new perspectives. And I also really think that we need entrepreneurs from different backgrounds also to tackle all the issues there are in the world. So uh, entrepreneurs start a company because they um, because they want to solve a problem that they face themselves. So very black and white. If you're a rich white man from Silicon Valley and you think a taxi is late, you invent Uber. If you grow up without clean drinking water, you probably start a really different uh, company. And I think we need both those companies and everything in between, but it will uh, lead to more uh, diversity in, in the kind of problems that we are going to solve. So that's when I decided to start giving the book away for free to underprivileged girls in uh, different uh, countries because not everybody can uh, afford a book. Um, so uh, we did that and I got so many emails from girls across the globe uh, that they were inspired by it, that they were learning to code, that they had ideas for a company. And that really is uh, encouraging and, and yeah, so, so nice. So um, that's that. Then um, after I sold that company, I stayed on for a few years, as long as it was like fun. Uh, and we could, could continue uh, to build. Uh, then I left and again decided to do nothing, to think about uh, what I wanted to do next. And I think having this basically clean uh, piece of paper and you can decide what your uh, future will look like for the next 10 years from like, from like zero is such a great opportunity because uh, it, it is a little bit scary because I often, some, not often, I sometimes wondered like, hey, what if the best uh, is already in the past and how can I do again something uh, this great with such amazing people? But uh, that was only a small number of times. Most of the time I was like, oh, I'm so excited. I can really decide on uh, my future again for the third time. And so I did, and then I met Eva, and uh, we decided to um, start a fund together, where for me, uh, a lot of the things I care about uh, come together. I like supporting entrepreneurs. I did angel investments and mentoring as well. Uh, I like the possibilities of technology. Uh, I want to create a level playing field because I think uh, it doesn't exist uh, uh, today. So, uh, and I really believe that uh, VCs are a key piece of the puzzle when it comes to increasing diversity. So uh, that's how we uh, got to Capital T. And uh, we wanted to do something um, uh, different than there, was, than there already was in the market. So 
uh, we focus on um, four areas. So pre-seed and seed, uh, climate tech, education, future of work, and Web3. And we use a model to evaluate uh, teams more data-driven. Um, because uh, interestingly, in, a, in, a, in an industry that's extremely uh, data-driven when it comes to decisions around team, uh, it's a gut feel that's the main driver of those decisions. And uh, that includes bias, stereotypes, uh, pattern matching. So, and we believe that when you uh, look at things more data-driven, you at least uh, level these out. So we basically overlay our gut feel with some uh, facts. So that is very long intro, but that's a bit uh, about my background. I love it. That's a fantastic background and there's so much to unpack. And I think where I'm going to start is when you first went into that creative side and started to um, learn while you were kind of in school, uh, this kind of probably gave you a great perspective on business and how business was running and you got to be creative. What pushed you to kind of jump into your own business in that transition period when you were finished school, decide, okay, I'm going to just take this leap of faith. What kind of drove you to do that? What was the impetus inside of that? You were working at a business, you were probably getting paid well. What kind of made you decide to make that leap? Well, we we <laughs> we thought we could do it better. Um, and uh, I've always been uh, the kind of person that wants to uh, achieve new things, do things better and uh, gets excited about opportunities. So uh, that combined with having uh, a great, great uh, co-founder, we were just like, yeah, let's do this. We can do this better. Let's show them. I love it. And because you took that approach that you could do it better and you made the leap and you said, you know what, as you mentioned, you had the opportunity to take some, some maybe some uh, loan from your, your family. But the point was, is that you made the leap. And I yeah. think in the whole journey that you've kind of gone on that every time it's a leap, and you had the drive to actually, and the risk to do this. Is there a couple of things that you can coach people into just in this conversation by saying, you know what, just do it. And I know the Nike thing, just do it. But is there something that can get people over the line? Because I think that is the biggest fear for entrepreneurship is that people just don't know how to get themselves to drop everything and assume all this risk. Well, for me, I didn't see it as a big risk. Um, my thinking was, well, the worst thing uh, that can happen is that I learn a lot and I fail, uh, and that will be slight bruise to my ego, but I still will have learned a lot. And obviously I will need to repay the loan, but I didn't see the risk as so big. My ego, I think is not that large. So I was like, yeah, let's, let's go. I was mainly looking at the, at the upside. And I think when I speak to people and a lot of people tell me, oh, one day I want to be an entrepreneur. Uh, I really want to do this. But when they don't do it, I, my uh, view is that um, if you have mainly reasons to not do it, you either don't have the right idea yet or you're not an entrepreneur. Because I think if you have the right uh, idea and you are an entrepreneur, you only have reasons to do it. So uh, for me, that's um, uh, really important. And, and uh, also uh, I think people think they wanna be an entrepreneur, but they don't always uh, want to be an entrepreneur. So, uh, and I think if you really want it, you, you, you go. And then I, I do see that for me, it was easy in the sense that I um, had my parents who could loan me the money. So I do see a huge difference uh, in between people who don't uh, have that. And that's also with the fund when we do pre-seed deals, we don't um, expect our founders to earn no salary. Uh, we think it's important that, the, that they can earn a living so that not only rich people can start um, their own companies. That's very important to us. And it doesn't mean you, you, you need to be able to uh, buy a huge house, etc. But at least, uh, at least you need to be able to, uh, to live. No, well, very well shared. And it, it does make sense that when you start to make that leap, that you can be supported. And that's the reason why you give away equity so that you can get funds that help you move the business forward. But even just to get yourself to make that initial step, it's 
it's very daunting. It's scary because you don't know the outcome. You can't predict what's going to happen. And I yeah. think as you kind of you need described, to start embracing that. And the curiosity, and, and, you have to jump for it. Yeah, and you need to embrace that you don't know, and you need to start liking that because otherwise it will be really tough. Totally. Uh, yeah. So now, as you kind of move your and propel yourself forward, and you decide to create this new company, you're motivated. You've jumped in. You're diving into this idea. It's the best idea you're going for. Brilliant. And then you start to diversify, which is now you're going international. And you mentioned that you were working in South Africa and a few other countries. Most startups, probably, I'm going to make a statistic, 70%, the higher fail rate is pretty high, but the rate of companies actually being able to expand into other countries is very tough because they can barely figure out how to work and operate in their own country. And now you've jumped into South Africa. Currently, I'm in Uganda right now. And I see what the world is like in all of the South African continent. I've traveled through it. And I see that there's so much potential and there's so many people that have so much potential. And then you come from the Netherlands and you jump in and start creating these entities. Can you share how that went and what the excitement level was? Was it tough at first or was it just easy that there was a lot of people that just really wanted to be part of your business in these other countries? Yeah, I think um, with the first company, it was slightly different than with the second. Uh, with the first company, we grew internationally alongside Microsoft. That was then our biggest client and they wanted to expand. So the good thing was that we already had business uh, when we moved to those um, uh, countries. I think uh, what we did was always work with local people. Uh, and I think you have to. You can't assume that things are the same. Um, and, and coming from Europe, I think uh, that's something we realize fairly quickly because we have all these countries around us and, and, and we know that each of them are really different. So it's not like, oh, we expand in Europe and, and it, it's like expanding in, uh, in, in the country. So we, we had that realization. I think uh, with the second company, it was different um, because then we didn't grow with clients, but as part of our strategy. And uh, that's where we made uh, also some big mistakes trying to uh, move to too many countries at the same time. And any startup uh, knows that uh, money is always a constraint and it's time. Uh, and when you start uh, in too many countries, you have to uh, uh, put money in each country and you can't be everywhere at the same time. So looking back, we didn't perform really well in any of those countries. Well, if we would have done them one by one, we could have had much more focus, first do one country really well and then move to the next. But we felt like, oh, we need to move fast. Otherwise the competitor uh, is first. And we really had this feeling uh, then we needed to be the first mover. Um, then to find out that being the first mover also has a lot of disadvantages because uh, you're educating the market. In our case, uh, what we were doing was like really new. So we had to put a lot of effort in educating the market and then everybody was working with us. But then a new company came in and that was shiny and new. And of course, they also knew the things that might not be perfect on our end, uh, but nothing is per perfect, but it's like a new a new relationship. Uh, and and so we also lost uh, clients because of that. They came back after a while, but... That was uh, pretty tough. And at the end of the day, we did succeed, but we learned some very uh, hard lessons uh, there. Um, uh, but no matter where we were going, it was always super important for us to work with local people. And what I would advise everybody to go that goes international to work in the country where you're opening an office at least like three months. Um, because you can then work with that person, really make sure that the culture is, um, is is similar to what it's like at the head office, but also to experience what it's like to not be in head office uh, and not be uh, at a coffee uh, bar where you can easily uh, speak to other people and hear the most important things. All these things you don't hear when you're not uh, at the head office. And I think knowing that will really make you a better leader uh, leading a, a global company. Awesome. There's so much there, and I want to take back to the, the founder side and what you talked about on scaling and moving into these countries really quickly. Uh, 
And I think when you were talking to it, you said you weren't the best at, in all of the countries. Now, does this drive from that mentality of a VC saying you need to scale, you need to move, you need to move. So your brain is kind of running in this fast motion, thinking that you need to take down the world and the more spaces you are, the more money you'll get, the more value and not being able to prove it really, but because you've got an office and a couple of clients, did that really kind of propel you forward and allow you to continue to raise and to be part of that environment? Or do you find now today, if you were to pull back, you would share back to your entrepreneur and say, you know what, let's go into this country. Let's spend eight months to a year actually really owning this space, then go to the next one and the next one. Because every time you move a country, you can take that one year chop it down to eight months, chop it down to six, and then maybe your scaling opportunities, you can get every country ramped up to a couple of million in revenue every six months versus trying to scatter and do three or four countries at one time because you're being pressured to move quick. In our case, it was more our sense of urgency than the push from uh, VCs. And uh, uh, again, at the risk that I'm sounding like really uh, old, um, it was a different time back then. There were not that many VCs. And actually, we already made a lot of uh, revenue and we still could only raise two and a half million, which is now like a decent um, pre-seed round. So uh, it was it was anyway uh, different. I think uh, knowing everything that I know today, I for sure would have raised uh, more. Um, and also... Uh, a big lesson is hire uh, the best people, not the people you can afford. If you cannot afford the best people, then don't hire uh, uh, them yet. Because especially when you're opening an office in another country, so much depends uh, on that first hire, their network, the ability to hire others, the ability to attract uh, clients. So if it's not like the absolute best person, uh, you just uh, shouldn't move. And, and I'm not saying uh, that we should have like eight months in between, but do one country really well work together with that first person. So they also have the knowledge about opening a new office and they can also support you uh, in opening other offices, make an impact in terms of uh, marketing and PR in that country, have everything set up, a few clients, and then move to the to the next and, and do the same uh, there. That, yeah, that I would have to definitely different. And that's good advice because today everybody is looking to scale faster. And even if they're in, say, the United States, they're scaling across different states. And to them, that's almost like going to a different country. Yeah. They have to be able to put up marketing dollars, put employees in that space. And I think too, when you're scaling into these different environments, some of the things that we forget is that there's operations, there's problems that get started yeah. in their own ecosystem and those have to be dealt with. So you end up becoming building your own problems while you're building this business. So I think there's a lot of pieces that you really can iron out if you do take a little bit of time up front versus trying to scatter and do everything really quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think certain things um, are easier uh, today as well, like hiring uh, people, uh, having a remote uh, a team. There's, there's many things that are uh, different, but in the essence, I think focus um, remains important. And focus is one of my favorite words in, in anything that we do, because at the end of the day, you're not going to be successful business if you can't stay focused and you can't drive yourself forward by fixing one problem and one solution and continuing to work that effort forward. Yeah, and I think now, it's also important for people to realize because if you, uh, now uh, the media starts to change, but if you looked at everything on Twitter and in the media for like the last year, it was like, oh, you start and you're a unicorn, like six months later. Um, but when you are building uh, a company or you are close to seeing pe people uh, build a company, you know it's extremely difficult. So um, the view that was out there for some time was just not realistic. It's really hard work. It's really difficult. And you, you don't become a unicorn by just starting. And scaling quickly and raising and hiring thousands of people at one time, you know that there's bound to be bigger problems that are going to come from that. And, and I agree yeah. that this, the whole unicorn side of things is that one in a billion companies and it gets scaled like it's happening every day, everywhere and every company is a potential unicorn. And I think sometimes the media blows things a little bit too far to proportion. 
Yeah. So there's some other things that kind of propelled through on the scaling side and the businesses. And what I really liked about some of the things that you did in your background is that there were from awards that you've won, uh, different types of um, non-for-profits. There's a lot of things that you've put yourself in front of to help lead. And I wanted to kind of dive into that because I felt that when you were going through this journey and you're building success, you also felt the urge to kind of give back. And while you were giving back, do you find that that benefited uh, the communities that you were working within? And do you recommend founders do the same thing? Uh, because I think there's probably this line of when there's doing too much and or it's not returning value to you. But I found that all of the things that kind of went from in 2014 when you were entrepreneur of the year and then 2018 angel of the year, you've had this great progression of amazing uh, things that have accomplishments that support what you've done. And at the right time, you were joining all of the di these different types of committees. How valuable is that to an entrepreneur to always have that in the back of their mind to be thinking about while they're building their company, they should be giving back? Um, I think while you are building your company, you should think about building your company. Uh, there's a right time uh, for everything. And um, I think you can give back more uh, uh, when you have the, the headspace and the, and the time. And I'm a strong believer in giving back because I think when you're successful, that's due to your own hard work, but also due to the ecosystem built by others that you actually uh, start with. And so I believe you should give back to that ecosystem and make sure it, uh, you leave it behind uh, stronger. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a time for everything. When you've gone through the entire entrepreneurial um, process, you, you can give back more value because you know more, you have gone through the ups and downs and, and can share um, uh, everything. Once you have sold your company, you can actually, you have the money to do some angel investments. So I think there's a time for everything. And especially uh, for women, they get asked for a lot of um, uh, events to talk about diversity. And uh, I always tell uh, founders not to do it. Speak at events, but speak about your business. Um, because uh, you don't need to speak uh, uh, in a panel uh, telling them that, that you're a woman uh, because they can see uh, you are a woman. What I like to hear is that you are actually uh, building uh, an amazing company and, and how you're doing that. And uh, I think as long as you're still building your company, that's what you should focus on. And everything you do should benefit the company. And after that, you can think about giving back uh, to um uh, to the to the broader community and and contribute to these kind of things while you're building the fact that you are building uh, should make you already a, a role model and it doesn't mean you should not support other um, entrepreneurs I think uh, for an entrepreneur it's super important to have a network of other entrepreneurs because they all know what you're going through and you and you're the best the best ones to help each other when uh, things are difficult. I love that. Again, it goes back to your comment about focus, but I, I, I agree that I think there's a tough balance when, you know, people are running events and they're reaching out because you're a female running a company and they want to get you on a panel, but it has nothing to do with your business. And you feel that that's great exposure, but it's taking away from your focus. So uh, I, I love that. And I, I guess that's that whole point of drawing a line and putting in the no where I'm not accessible at this point because I'm focused on trying to build this company. And that's more important to me today. Yeah, yeah, and, and invite me because I'm building a great uh, business. Exactly. For the other reasons, not for uh, the ones yeah. that are so obvious, as you mentioned. And, and you, you talked a bit about this diversity, and I think diversity has become kind of a really big platform today, not just on the female founder side, but I think just from uh, diversity in across all aspects. Yeah. What do you suggest or what can you share about team building? As you mentioned, you've got a platform, you guys have a system that helps with that. How can founders start to prepare from that at the beginning? Because now investors are probably now more keen to look for diversity in teams. 
You've built a system that helps with that. How does that mindset change for founders? And especially if they are pure tech founders, uh, I can't tell you how many times I've seen companies that are just purely, uh, as you've probably alluded to in, in many of your talks, uh, a lot of guys on the business because they're all tech minded and there isn't any diversity in the teams. How do you start to get people to think more about that? And in your previous companies, it seemed like you were already on board with that and doing that throughout your businesses. So it was yeah. easy transition for you. How did you start doing that? And how did you get people to start following along? Yeah, for me, it had always been um, easy, as in uh, it, it was just happening organically. Um, and uh, I think I always have an open mind to people from different backgrounds and people that are uh, different than me as uh, as I very much look for somebody's attitudes and uh, that's more uh, uh, universal. So I, I think for me, it has always been organically. Um, I have to say that convincing other people that it's important is not always easy um, because not everybody sees the need for it or they think it's just nonsense. Um, actually, today I had a conversation with somebody who said, yeah, I'm not sure if women are just less good entrepreneurs or maybe they just don't like it as much as men and it's so frustrating to have uh, these conversations still in uh, 2022 but i always try to show people the effect of a lack of diversity and um, because that often makes them think uh, different about it so what if you have a team and you build something um for just one group and it's this discriminatory to others or it excludes others or I mean we we all know these examples of algorithms that um, exclude a lot of people and when you talk about the the effect the actual impact on people's lives of a lack of diversity I feel that most people uh, are more receptive to the concept um, I think there will always be people that are not on board um, but uh, yeah, as every person we can convince uh, that this is actually what the future should look like is one person. And I try to focus on the people that actually do have an open mind because some people you just, you just can't uh, win. And we often also get the question, but so you um, invest uh, just in women. And we're like, no, we don't just invest in women. We invest in the best entrepreneurs. And um, we don't have a diversity uh, mandate. We don't have a diversity target because we don't think you need one. If you um, remove all the barriers that are in VC, like uh, warm introductions, and uh, you make sure you're visible in all communities, you're easily approachable uh, by uh, uh, different people, then uh, and you select the best entrepreneurs from that pool, you will get a diverse portfolio. If you only look in the people in your network, uh, then and you select the best ones, then I can guarantee you, your portfolio won't be uh, diverse. So uh, for us, um, investing in the best founders is important. And, and uh, that resulted in um, a portfolio that we have today, um, a little 53% um, of the companies have a female founder, 58% have a founder of color. When uh, you look at uh, LGBTQ as well, then 84% of our companies are diverse. Um, and uh, we have quite a broad uh, uh, age diversity. We have first-time founders, serial entrepreneurs, solo founders, teams. So it's it's... It's diverse on all uh, aspects, I would say. Those are some fantastic statistics. And I think it shows well to uh, all the years that you've been building companies and how you've integrated into different communities uh, from, again, South Africa all the way across and not just being uh, stuck in one area, looking behind one culture. So uh, it's phenomenal. There is a kind of another thing that I felt that really shaped how you work and what you've been doing. And I found that that becomes part of your writing and this writing style that you have, uh, being that you have different columns that you write for, how important do you feel that your voice became in all of this journey that you've been on has been created because you've had an open platform to kind of talk about everything that's on your mind and write stories and write dialogue that kind of influences an entire world of entrepreneurs because you've had that platform, you created it of course, 
but you made it really strong in supporting that direction and opening people up to the ideas and to the change that they needed to see. Yeah, I think um, it's it's sort of it's part of me that I uh, I I try not to take the easy uh, route, and I I see it as my responsibility to speak up about these topics, and I know you need to continue to address them because even though I feel like I'm a broken record, uh, people still can come up to me and say, huh. But tell me, why is diversity so important? And I'm like, what? Um, so you need to repeat these things. Uh, and, and every time uh, you will convince somebody and every time you will uh, win also a new hater. Um, but uh, that's, that's, I think, a part of it. Somebody once told me haters are congratulators. Um, if nobody responds, then just nobody uh, cares. So I really see it as my sort of also obligation um, to speak up for people that are not in the position uh, to speak up. And I try to uh, become um, a little bit like numb to the uh, to the haters, uh, which is not always possible. But yeah, I'm, I, I'm not sure if that answers your question. It, it totally does. And, and I support 100% on how you, you've approached that. And I think when you, from your writing, and you can see this, that when you're behind an idea, you're supporting it and you're pushing it out. And you, you mentioned it, not everybody's going to like you and you're going to find some people that uh, will push back, but you're going to find a lot of people that will get behind what you're doing. And I think with the accomplishments and all of the things that you have done, being outspoken and being able to write that word is going to make a big difference on building up a community uh, that believes in what you're doing and want to support it. But on the same time, when they build their own company, they're going to want to jump in and be part of that as well. So it's, it's yeah. a very uh, circular economy that you have, and it's very exciting. Well, and it's also like the, the positive emails you get from people that, that tell you, oh, thanks for speaking up or, oh, you really helped me through it because you said this, uh, that helped me in this way. It's emails like that, that that I'm always like, yeah, because sometimes I'm also tired. I'm like, oh, can I just focus on, on, on the one thing I do and why do I have to? Uh, make it so difficult for myself. And then I get an email like that and I'm like, yeah, that's why. <laughs> it's almost that serendipitous moment when you say to yourself, I, I'm, I'm exhausted, I'm tired. I can't believe I'm doing this. And then literally within 24 hours, the email pops up and gives you that boost to keep going. And yeah. you're almost like you've hit a wall, but someone on the outside is saying, no, 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 keep going. You're doing the right things. You're helping and it makes sense. Yeah. I love yeah. that. So we're going to kind of transition now, and, and I think all of the things that you've kind of encompassed in your career and working in entrepreneurship, uh, I feel like you've only been an entrepreneur. I, I believe that even when you started off in corporate world for those two early years, they were just an entrepreneur of yourself, just getting the lay of the well, land so you could jump out that and do something. Yeah, but that was also a startup. So I wasn't the entrepreneur, but I definitely felt like one. Totally. So being that you've been had this great career of entrepreneurship, um, maybe you can share kind of that heartfelt story of what it takes for a founder that what they had to go through to become a great startup, or maybe they didn't become there, but they learned some great lessons. We love that heartfelt story where she or he just took a something that wasn't going to work and they made it work and there was a success. So there was something great that came out of it. Uh, is there a story or a use case that you could share that really exemplifies what it takes to be an entrepreneur? Well, I think to be honest that um, uh, this is what it's like for almost every entrepreneur. And, and we mainly, of course, see the stories where you feel like everything is a breeze and they were suddenly successful. Uh, and, and I know speaking to entrepreneurs, that's hardly ever the case. Everybody goes through moments where they feel they... They, the, the company uh, almost uh, dies. And uh, looking back at my own company, we've gone through these things. There was a moment where we, uh, where we uh, had to launch a new uh, platform, raise funding, we got sued. So we were really on the edge of going uh, bankrupt. And we just uh, made it. And, and knowing how thin that line is between success and failure, um, 
I uh, I'm never that tough anymore to people that do fail, um, because I know how close they probably were to being uh, successful, and um, I, I I've seen this with many. Um, with many founders, also the ones we work with now. And that's also why we have on our website that we hope that we are the kind of VC that uh, people uh, call after the end of a shitty day and that uh, they will call their friends uh, at the end of a great day because entrepreneurship is just, yeah, glued together of little failures and tough moments. And, and one of the superpowers of any entrepreneur is uh, handling no's because you have no's all the time, multiple times a day. You hear no from clients, from potential um, uh, employees, from investors. You hear no so often that your ability to handle them is like your superpower. And then there's also days that you can't handle them because it's the no you expect it to be a yes or it's a very personal no or it's a very personal no to you and um that's okay too to lay in your bed and cry for a few hours and then uh, move on and those are also the moments where it's great to be able to call another entrepreneur and say oh this happened to me and and they will understand how you feel and they will help you uh, get through it so yeah, I think the most important thing for me is is the, the, the things you read in the press is PR. Um, it's not the real story. It's never the real story. And the real story is never as glamorous or shiny or amazing. It's, it's, it's really tough. There's a, um, a piece of art I have in my house where it says, I'm not delusional. I'm an entrepreneur. And I felt... Uh, like that so often because everybody else was like oh please give up please stop please take a break and I was like no I can't I can't we need to keep going and I know we will get there well shared um there's a, a few things there that I, I really liked and there was one line that you said in one of the videos and it kind of encompasses what you just shared without failure you cannot call yourself an entrepreneur and I think yeah. that all of what you just shared really does define that because you know, as you mentioned, what you read in the papers or in digital, it's just PR. And I think we get a little bit sidetracked on what that really means is that everybody's creating a story and a storyline for you to read and to be consumed and to feel that this is the best. But underneath it, you have no idea what is really going on. And that PR stunt could have actually saved the company from failure. It could have saved a lot of things that you have no idea about. And even if it does fail, that learning is tremendous value for that founder to be able to step back onto the horse and to start driving again into their next opportunity. Uh, but you have to get to those stages and you have to get through those layers in order to figure out who you are, uh, what your resilience is and how hard you really are going to drive that business or the next one. Yeah. And it never gets easier. Um, so uh, that's also the fun part because e even though with all your experience, you, you push yourself further and you will run into new problems. So it never gets easier, but that's also so the fun of it. Just, just jump on that. So you found that from company one, two, and three, that there wasn't things that you were able to do quicker and run faster. Yeah, yeah but because you can do them quicker and better, you, uh, you start at a different level and then there's new problems there as well. So... <laughs> It doesn't get easier. Certain things are, but then there's new things always. And those new things take place of the old things that were the maybe the less uh, fixable problems back in the day. So now those ones become a lot tougher and more bigger challenges. So, yeah, I love it. Awesome. OK, we're going to jump into uh, rapid fire questions, because if not, I could keep going for a million questions because the, it's been awesome. So. We're going to jump into rapid fire questions and the way the rapid fire questions work is that um, you'll pick one or the other and you're coming in as the investor. So you'll choose one option, A or B. Um, and then on the personal questions, same idea, you'll choose A or B. Are you ready to roll? Yes. Okay, perfect. Okay. Founder or co-founder? Co-founder. Unicorn or a four-year 10x exit? Unicorn. Tech or CPG? Tech. NFT or Web 3.0? Web 3. 
AI or blockchain? AI. First time founder or a second, third time founder? First time founder. First money in or series A? First money in. Angel or VC? VC. <laughs> Board seat or observer? Observer. Safe or convertible note? Safe. Lead or follow? Lead. Equity or interest payments? Equity. Favorite part of investing? Sorry? The fav your favorite part of investing? Oh, working with founders. <laughs> Number of companies invested per year? Uh, 10. Preferred terms? Any preferred terms? No. Verticals of focus? Uh, verticals. Oh, ours. Uh, climate, education, future of work, and uh, Web3. Perfect. And then two qualities that a startup needs in order to stand out for you to invest. Um, storytelling and uh, uh, passionate uh, founders. I like the passionate one. Agreed. Okay, personal side. Book or movie? Book. Superman or Batman? Superman. Restaurant or picnic? Mm, picnic. Five minutes with Bezos or Oprah? Oprah. Me too. Mountain <laughs> or beach? Mountain. Bike or run? Bike. Big Mac or Chicken McNuggets? Big Mac. Trophy or money? Money. Beer or wine? Wine. Camera or mobile phone? Uh, mobile phone. King or rich? King. Concert or amusement park? Concert. Fortune cookie or birthday cake? Uh, cake. TED talk or book reading? TED talk. I watched your TED talk. I thought it was great. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, most famous person that pops in your mind? Oh, uh, Obama. He gets a lot of people. A lot of people uh, say Obama. He's very famous. Very famous. Favorite movie and which character would you play in the movie? Uh, Love Actually. <laughs> I watched that movie like a million times. And uh, what character would I play? Mm, I think... I think the prime minister. Okay. I have to watch this movie. I'm not sure I've seen it. Oh, it's very cheesy. <laughs> Perfect. We all can use in a couple hours of cheesy time. So I guess that could work. Uh, all right. Uh, favorite book. Favorite book. That's a good one. I ordered one that I think will become my uh, new favorite book. Um, I really liked the book of Michelle Obama. Okay. I haven't read that one, but I'm adding it to my list. Yes. I like it. Okay. First brand that pops into your mind. iPhone, Apple. Apple. Apple is probably, I haven't taken the full stats yet, but I will say that Apple is about 40, 30 to 40% of all answers. Mm. They are a phenomenal marketing machine. Yes, they are. And they make favorite sports. Oh, they do. They do. Favorite sports team. Uh, the Dutch national team. Of course. Nice. Yes. Yes. The favorite app that you're using on your mobile today. Twitter. Ooh, they're right in the, uh, the thick of things these days. So good choice. Good choice. What is the meaning of success to you? Making an impact. And the ability to make a, a bigger impact. Okay. What is your superpower? <laughs> um, handling no's. Yeah. I like that. You shared that a little bit earlier, so that's, yeah. that's uh, bang on. So I like that. That's good. Okay. Well, I want to say thank you very much for all of your time today. 
Yeah, there's because... one question I forgot to answer early on, what nobody knows about me, or most people oh, yes. don't know about me. And that's, um, uh, I have a full closet of all kind of gift wrapping things, papers uh, and stickers and everything. And I really like gift wrapping. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I've never... Uh... I never would have seen that. I thought you were going to tell me you had this closet and you're on the website and you have the thing where your clothes are on there. I, no. I know there's websites on and you're, no, that's brilliant. No. So that's my, my yoga. That gives me peace of mind. I like that. Brilliant. Well, I'm glad you shared that and I'm glad you stopped this to make sure that you did share that. So thank you for, uh, for doing that. Um, well, Annika, I want to say thank you very much again for a hundredth time, because really it's been phenomenal getting the opportunity to chat with you today and being able to dive in and unpack uh, a lot of uh, your background and your history. And I think you're doing some amazing, amazing things, not just uh, in Europe, but I think globally, you're doing a lot of great things, helping uh, entrepreneurs, women, diversity, everybody. Uh, keep up the amazing uh, work. I think we all owe you one because uh, you're putting a lot of that weight on your shoulders by helping entrepreneurs and, and helping people open up. And again, super amazing on the book and being able to give that away. I think that's also phenomenal. I think there's a lot of people that appreciate that. And of course, they're sharing that with you. And the way we like to end our show is we like to give you the last word. So anything that you want to share to the entrepreneurs or to investors, I turn it over to you. But thank you again for your time today. Well, I would say if you have if if you have any doubts about uh, should you start uh, your own company, uh, it's the best thing out there. So please do. I love it. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye. Okay, that was brilliant. A Annika has such a um, amazing background. She's doing so much on the entrepreneurial world and helping entrepreneurs from all over the world. And I love the fact of how she looks for people that have passion donating her book to uh, underprivileged women to help them uh, learn to code and to build. Uh, fantastic. Uh, she's talked about so many things on how and what you should be looking for when you start a company, but just get out there and do that. Um, find some great people to, to, to work with. Team is super heavily important. Uh, she uses that in the code in the way she breaks down and, and makes investments. Uh, that is obviously a, a key to any um, survival of a business. And of course, the scalability and being able to scale in international markets. And she proved that by uh, in a couple of her businesses by scaling into multiple countries. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, all of this came back to is uh, having the right people on your team and having the right vision, uh, drive and passion to be able to build out your company. Um, again, thank you for all of those valuable points. And thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed this conversation, please feel free to share with your friends or subscribe to our YouTube channel. Follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and or Stitcher. Your support and comments are truly appreciated. You can also check us out at supportersfund.com or for startup events, visit opn.ninja. Have a great day and, and thanks for joining us today.